The scripture for this morning uh, comes from Mark uh, chapter 11, uh, verses 27 through chapter 12, verse 12. They arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things? They asked, and who gave you authority to do this? Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. Answer me and I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism. Was it from heaven or from men? Tell me. They discussed it amongst themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he will ask, Then why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, they feared the people, for everyone held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We don't know. Jesus said, Neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Then he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the winepress, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. At harvest time he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. Then they looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. I had somebody, uh, <clears throat> well, it's happened before, but recently asked me, do we really have to do that stand up and greet each other thing? And this is the question of every introvert, right? <laughs> come on, come on. And uh, here's why we do it. We know that you're not going to get into a deep, lifelong friendship in 30 seconds. We know that. We're not that stupid. But we also know that every deep, lifelong friendship begins with an introduction of one person to another. So it opens up possibilities, and then there's time maybe later. And if you really don't like it, here's my advice to you. Get over it. There you go. When I was at the University of Washington in the mid-1970s, I frequented a pizza shop just around the corner from where I lived. And by the way, I lived in an apartment. It was a basement apartment, and it was $40 a month. Can you believe it? Rents have gone up slightly. And on the wall of that... Uh, pizza place, and I can't even remember the name of it now, but I think it was on Brooklyn Avenue or one of those streets over there. Uh, was it, th- This isn't a picture from it, but I, I pulled this off the internet. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, there you go. Question authority. And she, she kind of looks like somebody from that era. So uh, Now, there's a problem with that when, you, when, you, when that's your lifelong kind of mantra that you wear the T-shirt and you're, that's what you're about. Here's the problem. <laughs> 
I mean, honestly, that's, it, it creates a real conundrum. Question authority will only get you so far. And um, it's actually a good thing to question authority, right? I mean, we're Americans. We understand that really, really well. But you don't, if, there's a lot of people coming at you every day that want you to believe what they're saying, and they seem to have some kind of authority behind them. And it's good for us to do background checks and that kind of stuff. So, and maybe the one authority that we need to check most is our own self-authority. This is from Gloria Steinem, who cons- would be one of the sort of mid-70s radicals. The bottom line is that self-authority is the single most radical idea there is. And I just kind of laugh at that because self-authority has been going on, according to the Bible, it's been going on like way, way, way back there. And it's really the, the essence of where our problem is, is that we have become self-authorities. We do life the way we want to do it, apart from God and what he has said. So there's a problem there. Uh, Martin Luther King, since I, it is, we honor him, I want to get this quote in there, because he makes the point that Jesus Christ, there's no one more radical than Jesus Christ. The commandment not to conform to this world comes not only from the Apostle Paul, but from our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, the world's most dedicated nonconformist whose ethical nonconformity still challenges the conscience of mankind. Uh, there, there really is no one more radical than Jesus Christ. Try living for him and see how much harder it is than living for yourself. I mean, just, does it even compare? Uh, now, authority is, uh, we have to have authority in our lives. There's a vacuum there. If we don't fill it with God's voice or with our own self-authority, we're going to fill it with something. We have to have some guidance for life. And so, uh, you know, at least maybe politically, I'll go there for a minute. Um, in the 1990s, I think it was 1999, there was this thing called the Battle for Seattle or Battle of Seattle. And it was the World Trade Organization meetings that were in Seattle. And the anarchists kind of swarmed around and created a lot of chaos. It was in the news worldwide. You know what I'm talking about here? Yeah, it's, it's the celebration of anarchy. And if you've ever been in a place where there's anarchy, and maybe you were there this morning in your home, but uh, beyond that, if you've been in a place of anarchy, it is, it is hell on earth because everybody is the sheriff. And you know, it's not, it doesn't work. The book of Judges has a way of talking about that. At the end of the book of Judges, it says, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. You see, that's anarchy. Or, so there, there's a vacuum waiting to be filled, or the, the vacuum gets filled by a, a, a tyrant. And welcome to the world of people like Vladimir Putin. You see, he has authority. And the history of the political history of humankind is those two things going back and forth. And the miracle of America is that we sort of have this middle ground thing that works. But you get too much anarchy, it's going to be filled, then there's a backlash. Napoleon comes in upon the anarchy of the French Revolution, and then back and forth. That's, that's lots of blood in that. All right, back to Jesus. Let's, let's focus here. It's the final week of Jesus' life, and he, the, Mark, the gospel writer, is slowing down the story. He wants us to really pay attention. We're going to go, every, every, it seems like every day that comes along, we're going to be on Tuesday today of that week, it's going to get slower and slower and slower until Friday. And, and he gives just tons of ink to Friday. So uh, 
we're going to look at five different controversies the next five weeks that Jesus has with his enemies. And Jesus had enemies. They were real enemies, and we know that they wanted to kill him. I mean, that's a, that qualifies as an enemy, does it not? Somebody wants to kill you, that's your enemy. The, the miracle is that Jesus loved his enemies. So uh, it, it's a little different than what we might think about. But they're real enemies, and most of them, the, these five controversies are going to take place in the, what we call the temple uh, in Jerusalem. So uh, we'll see that. Now there's a question that's been hanging over Jesus ever since we started Mark's gospel. Weeks and, it seems like years ago, but a long time ago. And that is, who are you? And Jesus does not wear a t-shirt that says, I am Messiah, or I am the Son of God, or any of his lofty titles. He does not do that. The question, you see, he wants the question to hang over you. Who is he? And he wants you to answer it. And he's not like Vladimir Putin. He's not going to tell you. You have to figure it out. And the Holy Spirit of God himself will help you figure it out. And then when you answer that question of you are God, you are the Son of God, you are the Messiah, then you have to figure out, do I really listen to his voice? Does his voice have authority in my life? Because I need authority, and he's the one. So we're going to wrestle with that a bit this morning. And I want to say this now before I forget to say it later, is that when, we're, when I'm finished up here, <laughs> there's prayer available in the back. There's somebody back there that would love to pray with you. You may want to consider prayer for God's authority in your life uh, or, or something else. Okay, here's our outline for this morning. We're going to walk through. Uh, we'll just touch on the parable at the end and how it relates to what he's said earlier. But these are the, the, his authority is questioned, and then he questions those who are questioning him, and then the parable. Let me begin by reading from uh, verse 27. They, that would be Jesus and his disciples, arrived again in Jerusalem. They went out each night to Bethany. That's where they were staying or sleeping overnight. And then they would come back in the morning into Jerusalem from the, just outside on the, uh, Bethany on the Mount of Olives to the east of Jerusalem. And uh, that's, uh, we see that pattern. And now we're in Tuesday is the day that, uh, at least that's, the assumed day that we're talking about here. So it's in the morning, they arrive in Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking in the temple courts. And I, I used this last week. Um, I'll show you this again, the model from Herod's temple. This would have been pretty close to what it looked like. It is a model because it was torn down, destroyed, uh, utterly destroyed by the Romans in the year 70 AD, about 40 years after the events that we're looking at right here. And Jesus would have been teaching in the temple, or walking in the temple courts, it says here now, and here's the temple courts outside of the, uh, uh, the temple itself. And um, he comes across some characters uh, who we will be meeting again. Maybe we've heard of, their, of them before. So he's walking in the temple, and he and the chief priests, there's three groups here, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. And they're going to ask him the question of what authority does he have? So the chief priests, uh, the teachers of the law, and the elders, what do we know about them? We, we're not exactly sure on each category. But we do know some things. One, we do know that they are all educated, highly educated. And 
you know this, right? This is one of my, my proverbs for life, that really smart people can do really dumb things, okay? Think about that. And um, they were in that category, this same triumvirate, the same three, three groups, were the groups that the Magi, or the kings from the east came to, the wise man came to in the Christmas story. And they asked them, they were in Jerusalem, they asked them, where is the Messiah going to be born? Do you remember that from the Matthew chapter 2? Where is the Messiah going to be born? And they were really smart people, and they understood the scriptures, and they said, it, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And so the kings, or the magi, went to Bethlehem. It's about five miles. But these really smart people didn't take the time to go to Bethlehem themselves. It's kind of sad. I mean, that's because you know the scriptures doesn't mean you have the will to do the scriptures. So we met them there. We also know that they are probably part of the ruling class, and particularly the chief priests are part of the aristocracy in Jerusalem that was associated with the temple. And the temple had uh, a strong association with the Romans. And remember, Israel is a puppet nation under Rome. And uh, that, that helps explain some of the things that will happen next. And these people are, if I can put it this way, I would actually illustrate if I knew how to do it, but they're in a dance, okay? Don't worry. Uh, and here's the dance. The people are here. The people meaning the people of Israel or in Jerusalem are here, and the Romans are here. So you have the people and these powerful rulers, and they're in the middle. These chief priests particularly are in the middle, and they know that they have to keep peace because the Romans, whenever the Romans see something that is anything like an insurrection, where there's a crowd roaring over here to the side, the soldiers go there and they deal with it. And that threatens their power. So they have power from Rome as long as they can control the populace under them. And that's the dance they are in. And Jesus is a catalytic figure, if you haven't figured it out. He can cause a crowd to, you know, do stuff, respond. So they're really concerned. Jesus is a threat to their power, and they're having to do this dance thing to stay in control of their power. And ostensibly, they're doing it because they want the nation to exist, because Rome can just come in and crush it at any point, under the thumb. Okay, here's my illustration. And uh, someone told me this recently, and I don't remember who it was, but if it was one of you, uh, you're, it's okay because I've, you're anonymous. I've forgotten who you were. That's how I look at it anyway. All right. It's the Christmas holidays. And coming to your house th this Christmas or this last Christmas was uh, a relative. You're having a gathering there, and you want the peace of Rome in your house because it, you know how you are as a hospitable person. You don't want a lot of contention, but you've got some weird relatives, don't we all, right? <laughs> and you've got this uncle over here who is just a, a fervent Trump supporter and this aunt over here who loves Hillary, and there's a potential here for some bad stuff to happen. And you're just trying to keep the peace. This is the position that the chief priests are in. But then there's this other 
you know, cousin Harry guy, and he, you know, he's coming, and you're just praying that, oh, Lord, keep him off the, you know, whatever, whatever happens, I'm fine. Not a good prayer, but he's the guy that always stirs things up. And he knows that these other people don't really like each other, and he just likes to see the drama. <laughs> I, heard, I heard this from somebody. Uh, you might want to go for prayer later, whatever, but... Uh, <laughs> But that's the position that they're in. And I, I want to suggest that maybe we've all been in that position, that we can identify with the chief priest a little bit on this. They're in a spot. They have to, and they're, they're trying to act. It's kind of this weird thing because they're trying to act in this dance for the nation, but ultimately their self-interests are they're right there mixed in with it. You know, We've been there. Or Martin Luther King. If you saw the movie Selma, which was, I can't remember if it was a year or two ago, great, it's a really good movie. But in the movie, at least, I'm not sure about the history, but in the movie, there's a scene where uh, Lyndon Johnson, President uh, Johnson, was uh, confronting Dr. King about, you know, kind of kind of get him to tone it down a little bit on his actions and rhetoric because there were some political things going on and you had the Dixiecrats in the South and you had the, the other block in Congress that, you know, the, and the Jim Crow laws were still in effect and there was a lot of tension over this stuff and, and LBJ was saying, can you just tone it down? And he was concerned kind of the same way that, you know, Dr. King was in that place of Jesus that he's going to stir things up and, he, and LBJ as president can't control it. That's, that's the place they're in. All right. We're gonna, the reason that's important, and I spent so much time on it, is because it explains so much of what happens during Holy Week. They're in this delicate dance. And then, it's, uh, where do they get their authority from? Because they have uh, an authority. They are the official leaders. Jesus is not official in any way, shape, or form. No one has ever sanctioned Jesus from above except God, but no human person. Uh, I guess you could say John the Baptist, but he's outside of the system. He's a charismatic figure from outside. But where do these people get their authority from? It's called tradition. They get their authority from those writings that were written around the Old Testament that, that we have and that the Jewish people have. And they call it the Torah uh, or the, uh, the law. But it had layers around it of what the rabbis were saying about it. And so you couldn't just hear the, the Torah or the law. You had to hear what all the rabbis. So Rabbi Shem would say, you know, somebody asked, can you eat Brussels sprouts on Sunday or on, on the Sabbath? And some people would say, well, you should never eat Brussels sprouts. But, uh, but then, and then Rabbi Shem would say, yes. Yeah, and then Rabbi Lev would come and say, well, on the other hand, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And they get all this extra words around some simple thing that was in God's word. So they had, that was their way. A lot of on the other hand stuff. And Jesus comes along and he just clearly speaks, just both, he speaks with authority out of, uh, clearly stating what God's word says and it's coming right out of who he is with his character. And the people are amazed when Jesus teaches. Not just at his miracles, but at his teaching. And uh, so there's conflict. And Jesus is a threat to uh, these people. And then it says these things. Uh, By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? These things refer specifically to what we were talking about last week, the turning over of the tables 
I, I just, I'd love to be able to just do that right now. I have this urge to turn over tables, you know, go into a casino and turn over the tables or whatever. But it's called the cleansing of the temple. Jesus did that, and that was their temple. And he has no official status. Why are you doing it? Who gave you authority to do these things? You see, he's a threat. Now, for us, because we're, we're dealing with God's word here too, and it, it hopefully has authority in your life. What, what, who doesn't get threatened by Jesus? If you are a follower of Jesus, his words threaten you on a consistent basis. They threaten you not with, with violence, but they threaten you with the fact that they're different than the words of your own heart. That he speaks with authority, deeper and more resonant than your own, and you know that he is just way bigger than you are, way more powerful, way more loving. <laughs> Good news there. But there's a threat because it, it's in conflict with your own voice. And if he were to come into you, now, if you're a Christian, one of the things that Paul says in the New Testament later is that you're, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And if Jesus Christ comes into you, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. So if he comes into your temple and turns over the tables and does a cleansing act, what is he working on in you? What authority does he have to come in and, do, and turn over the tables of your life? You can think about that. So it's not just in the ancient past, it's for us today. All right, the second thing that happens, though, is that Jesus responds to their question by asking them a question. And I'll use my, um, one of my favorite jokes, and I've used it before, so you should be able to, you should be able to come up with a punchline if you've been here a while. Uh, Elie Weissel, who went through the Holocaust in his teens, and uh, a very famous Jewish person, uh, has written wonderful stuff about uh, the Jewish faith and about life, and it's good for all of us to read. He died this last summer, by the way. But Elie Weissel was asked one time, why is it that you Jews always answer a question with another question? And he said, why not? Got it. Why not? <laughs> Which I love the humor. Uh, but that's what Jesus does. And uh, they say, tell, uh, tell us where, uh, or he says to them, tell me where John's authority comes from and I will tell you where my authority comes from, implying that they come from the same place. But in uh, responding this way, Jesus puts them in a bind. Now, one of the things we're going to see about Jesus is that if he were a chess player, he would be really, really good. Now, you just put that on the, that's, that's probably pretty far down on the list of accolades that we would say about Jesus. But he is really, really, really witty, smart, clever when he wants to be. I mean, it's, uh, you're going to see that again and again. Uh, he outfoxes the fox, is another way to say it. And he puts them in a very, very awkward, tenuous position as to how they're going to answer him. First of all, John the Baptist, remember John is now dead. He was put to death by uh, one of uh, King Herod's, uh, I, I believe it was his sons or his nephews. And uh, John was a real problem to the leaders of Israel. For some of the same reasons, Jesus is a problem. John was another unofficial leader, and his baptism, he would call people to be baptized, and it was a baptism of repentance. 
And the people heard God's voice in John's voice, and they responded, and they were baptized, and they loved John. They knew he was a prophet. They knew he was from God. But the leaders, not so much. John and the leaders were like this, and and John, uh, we have this quote from him. He called them, you brood of vipers. That's not nice. (laughs) John was not concerned with being nice, and he had kind of a hard edge to him. But um, there was conflict between John and these, these same leaders that we're running into today. Now, they had lots in common, Jesus and John. First of all, they were cousins. They, they were related somehow in the, in the birth narratives. And uh, they were both unofficial leaders. They were both prophets. Uh, interestingly, Jesus is called a prophet. He embraces the title prophet. Among many other titles, we can say Jesus is a prophet. And John was definitely a prophet uh, of Israel. Uh, they, uh, you, could, you could just imagine uh, John coming into the temple area and doing exactly what Jesus did, turning over all those yeah, all the tables, yeah, and getting into it there. So they have that in common, but they have something that's not in common that's really, really important for us to grasp. <clears throat> John's message or his baptism was that of repentance. So he would say, repent for the day of the Lord is coming and it's a day of judgment. God is going to show up and I'm preparing the way for him and, and you will experience judgment. That was John's message. It's not a bad message, but that's not what he got from Jesus. Jesus shows up, the one that John prepared the way for, and Jesus' message is filled with mercy and grace. And aren't you glad? That's what we get. That's called the gospel. And it is, you just have to appreciate Jesus' message versus John's message. You should be, we should be so thankful that Christianity is not called John-eology or whatever. That it's all about what Jesus did, not what John said. Even though John's message is included in the whole. Repentance is there, but that's only half the story. We get God's grace and his mercy. Aren't you glad? Come on, yeah, this is good. This is really good news. So they have this difference. And that's why John, when he was in prison, he's depressed. And if you've ever been depressed, and I know enough of you, and I know myself, I mean, we get to that blue place. And John is, I think, clinically depressed, and he wonders if Jesus is really the Messiah. We run into that in the Gospels. Because he didn't, he didn't fulfill John's expectations of what a Messiah would look like. You're not being tough enough. You're not, being, you're not doing your power thing. You're just, you're being, and, and Jesus responds by saying, I'm healing people. I'm letting people know that God loves them. This is the message of the gospel. All right. So we have uh, the contrast there between the two. Now the question comes, what authority, where does your authority come from, Jesus? Is it, or, or you guys, not Jesus, Jesus is asking the question, is, is, or about John, does, does John's authority come from God? Because if it comes from God or from heaven, why didn't you believe him? This is the conundrum they are in. And if it comes from people, then they're in a, a tough spot because the people love John, and if he says it's just human, there's no, there's no authority from above in it, then he's contradicting the will of the people, and where is their source of 
authority. It's from the people. It's from doing this dance thing between Rome and the people. If they get the people upset at them, they're in big trouble. And they put the, uh, Jesus puts the uh, teachers and the, the uh, chief priests and the elders in a, in a really an embarrassing place, in a shame. He makes them feel shame. Is that ever a good thing, to feel shame? If you do something shameful, is it good to feel shame? I mean, we, we live in an age when psychology tells us that shame is never good. And by the way, when you shame another person, you've got to be really, really careful. But Jesus Christ is shaming them. They, they can't come up with the truth because of their own interests and all the rest. They should be ashamed of what they've done. And so they say, we don't know. Very shameful answer. Well, that's, that's how that works. We get to the parable where, oh, by the way, J- Jesus, we need to be clear on this. Jesus' authority, where does that come from? Just to be sure, sure that we're on this. This is what he says about himself. My, by myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Jesus is very, very clear over and over again that his authority comes from God. It's just... What he, and he, isn't it amazing that he can make these claims about himself and never, ever, ever seem like he's proud or full of himself? I mean, how, do you, how, does, how do you pull that off when you say so many things about yourself that are so high and never sound proud? I can't do that. <laughs> it doesn't work for me. Uh, but he does, and that's part of his authority. So then he tells the parable, and we don't have time for it, so we'll just touch on it. Last week, we, we had a, a parable, sort of a picture thing, a symbol of, of, the, of Israel in the, in the uh, fig tree. And this parable takes another Old Testament image of Israel, and it's a vineyard. And that's a very common Old Testament image of Israel, God's vineyard. Okay, but the problem in the vineyard is not really the vineyard itself. If you listen to the story or the parable, the problem is with the leaders. It's with the tenant farmers who keep killing these servants or to, to where the parable is pointing, they're killing the prophets that God is sending, like John. John was killed and others. So finally, the landlord sends his son. Finally, God sends his son and they kill him, which is where the whole story is going. We're on Tuesday. That's where we're going to be on Friday. But at the end of the parable, it says that the owner will come, and he, it won't be good for the tenant farmers. So there's judgment that does come. And then at the end, when Jesus is done, at, it, it talks about the response of the chief priests and others. It says, Then they looked for a way to arrest Jesus because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, and so they left him and went away. They're afraid of the crowd, but they went away, and they're trying to figure out this dance thing between the people and Rome, and they're finally going to figure it out on Thursday night but we have a long way to go before Thursday night. What I'd like to do right now is ask you to re- do a prayer and reflection time with me, and I'll lead you through it. Uh, worship team, go ahead and come on up here right now so we're not interrupting that later. And um, uh, I want to, like I said before, bring 
the words of the first century writer Mark into our own hearts and ask you some questions about authority in your heart uh, and bring our hearts before Jesus. So if you just close your eyes and let the Holy Spirit do his work. The first question that we want to ask our hearts is, do we believe in the authority of Jesus Christ? Is it from God? Does he speak with the authority of the one who created you and the one who wants to recreate you? Just settle that in your own heart. Give a clear yes or a clear no. If your answer is yes, then where are you with his authority in your life? And just so you know, I'm asking, I've asked myself this as I considered this time. Where am I with his authority in my life? You know, Jesus chided people who only called him Lord, but his words had no weight with them. And I know we're all struggling, so... Jesus loves us in our struggles, but where is his authority in your life? If you've hurt someone or offended someone, will you go to them as Jesus clearly says? Nothing more clear in Jesus' teachings than going to a person that you've hurt and saying, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And the the other side of that is we are to forgive as we have been forgiven time and time again. A clear teaching with the authoritative voice of Jesus. Where is his authority in your life when it comes to money and things? Do you ask before, if you've got a big expenditure in your future, you're considering, will you pray Sincerely before him about that, before you do enter in. Do you thank him regularly for giving you more than you need to meet the basics of life? And then to the extent that you would pray about, how can I help someone else who doesn't have as much as I do? Show me, Lord. Is he the authority of your sexuality? Do you allow him to set boundaries? Or are you your voice of authority in that sphere of humanity that we all struggle with? Does he shape those boundaries with his voice, with his words? And finally, does he have the authority to come in and turn over the tables to do a cleansing work in some other area of your life. Oh, Jesus Christ, would you wash us as only you can? Would you cleanse us from within? Bathe us on the inside. Motivate us to come clean. Cause us to hunger for your voice and your ways. We pray this in your name. Amen.